When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Manchester United are 13 points off the relegation zone and 14 off the top of the table. We're rubbish, boring and heartless. And yet this is the team who came from behind in Turin against the Champions League favourites Juventus. These players in this team are clearly not spineless all the time. They certainly can be great. They can do great things and can show how much they care. But a 0-0 draw against Crystal Palace really was... It felt like deja vu, a flashback to every game against opposition of this standard, complacent, boring, uninventive. More on that in a second, but welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Jack, we've both just watched Tottenham Hotspur scythe open uh, a poor Chelsea side who had been unbeaten and watching that Spurs team. I mean, you'd think United were in a different league to that team. City storming to a win, Spurs storming to a win, United ambling to a to a terrible draw that could have been a defeat. This was, there's, there's been a lot of bad days this season, but for me, this was one of the worst ones just because it was it was so predictable in, in so many ways. After 10 minutes of this game, you could see exactly where it was heading and you knew that it was going to be, if we were going to get anything positive out of the game, it was going to come from probably a 92nd minute Fellaini header at the back post. <laughs> that was the only way you realistically saw us getting anything out of this game. It, I don't think there was a single player in our midfield or or uh, or forwards you could say had a good game. The only player I would say who played pretty well was Lindelof again. Um, We've said that so many times. And it times says a lot season. that yeah, and it, it says a lot that even when he was clearly nursing a, what looked like a groin injury at the end, he's still the best player on the pitch in the United shirt, and that pretty much says it all about what the kind of state that our team is in at the moment. It also says I, it. I, and, it also says it all about the the Mourinho era. Is that our best player yeah. in the last few weeks has been Martial, a player hugely criticised under Mourinho. Our best player for the last two weeks, probably. Well, actually, international break. Our, one of the most consistent players o- over the last few weeks has been Lindelof, and the best player against uh, Palace was Lindelof. And that is another player who was criticised a lot by Mourinho, not played, etc., etc. It's it's always the players that have had a little spat with Mourinho that are the most important ones. 
Yeah. And it says a lot that our best player against, no offence, a team like Crystal Palace is our oh, centre-back. Oh, every offence, because they're, they're a rubbish team who can't score, can't defend that well either, and don't generally don't play very well. And they're not they're not like a cert for, for relegation, but they're a team... It's it's that kind of team that we always manage to mess up against. Is a team who aren't destined for relegation, but are kind of hanging about that area and doing slightly better yeah. than relegation. But it's, 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 I I can't tell with its complacency or what. But this was the same as, as so many other similar games. The one one versus Wolves earlier uh, last season in particular, nil nil against West Ham, a one nil loss against West Brom, nil yeah. nil against Southampton, two one against West Brom, one nil versus Bournemouth, one nil versus Brighton. These games sometimes we managed to pull off a win. Sometimes we lost, sometimes we drew, but they're all they're all really the same, no matter whether we get an 89th minute winner or not. And those winners were papering over in the cracks, etc. We knew that. And that's that's just a selection of, of many examples. They're not games where we've been atrocious like uh say the the one they lost to Newcastle at St. James's Park last season or other kind of humiliating defeats Huddersfield 2-1 Brighton twice that's amazing we've lost to Brighton twice but these are the games where we just offer nothing should probably lose and get luckier and and just never show the desire needed to win the game but also as, as I said at the start how can this team be so unmotivated for this game and yet mount such amazing comebacks against City last year Newcastle Chelsea Juventus etc is it is it the players fault or the manager's fault I think it has to be both I think the manager takes a lot of criticism because ultimately it's his job to, throughout the week to, to motivate these players and make them come out and play at the level that we know they can every week. But it is also on the players. I must say, watching this game, we, we've we've said in so many times in the last month or two that despite how bad the results have been, despite the fact that you know we wouldn't really class ourselves as, as supporters of Mourinho at this stage, the players are playing for the manager for, without a doubt. And today was the first time I started to doubt that because ev- everything was so lethargic today. At no point, even in the last 10 minutes, was there any kind of urgency from the team. Everyone was going through the motions. Ashley Young, so often in the second half, of just sort of strolling back into position if he got caught upfield. E- every single player on the pitch was was walking at different points. The movement up front was non-existent. And this was the first time when I think I have really started to doubt whether the players are truly playing for Mourinho because it just looked like so many of them didn't care today. They were were quite happy just settling for a nil-nil draw towards the end. There was a period around, like I think it was the 88th or 89th minute, where we played about five passes just around the back between Lindelof, Young and Alexis, who for some reason, when he came on, was playing as almost like a holding midfielder. And and they're almost just wasting time playing it around, around at the back. I understand that it might not be the most sexy way to get it done, but if you bought Fellaini on... Why, why are you passing it around around the back? You clearly set yourself up to go for a tactic of pumping up long balls. You've got Lukaku and Fellaini in there, Pogba potentially as well, all of whom very good in the air, and yet we're passing it around the back. It just it seems like we've got we've got the, the, the players on the pitch for one idea, and we're trying to do something different. And then when we did try and play it long to Fellaini, there was no one running off him. Lukaku was standing still most of the time. Rashford and Martial's <laughs> end product was terrible. It's... There's so much that I could say going into this. I mean, this was, even though it's not our worst result of the season, I think it was maybe the one that has angered me the most just because it didn't look like anything was ever going to change during the game. It was so predictable from the start. And this was the first time I really started to question whether the players are actually in it with Mourinho. Yeah, there, there are some specific stats that are just like mind-blowing. The fact that 
Man City's goal difference is 36 better than United's after 13 matches. We're, we've currently got a negative goal difference, which is which is stupid. Ashley Young attempted 11 crosses against Crystal Palace and none of them were successful. And you say we play in a certain way with the wrong players to do it, but it's not like we play in that way every week. We kind of just shift about, kind of float about, going from this way to that way, different set of players. It would be nice to just have a little faith in, pick a starting eleven, have a bit of faith in it, use the same players every week, use the use the young, talented players. Uh, a starting eleven along the lines of, obviously, De Gea. I don't know where Diego Dallo was. He's apparently back from injury, yet we started Matteo Damian. Get Bailly back in with Lindelof. Shaw on the left, a midfield of, of Pogba and Herrera. Maybe if you if he's going to have to play a three-man midfield, then put Fred in there as well. Martial, Mata, Rashford, Sanchez. It's... What was the point in dropping Lukaku if when we started playing well, when we started looking more fluid as a team, we were like, oh, right, let's let's bring Lukaku back in now? Because the football was improving. And I don't think we had turned a corner. It wasn't it wasn't a game-changing or a, a season-changing moment when we came back against Juventus, when Alexis Sanchez performed okay against Bournemouth and we came from behind there. It wasn't season-defining, but... It could have been a slight change where we thought, okay, let's try play without Lukaku for now. Let's try play with a, a mobile, quick, uh, smaller centre forward in Romelu Lukaku, in in Alexis Sanchez, who w- was doing well. And yet, here we are with Romelu Lukaku looking like, I've used this word probably like four episodes in a row now, making United look, look stodgy. We're, we're kind of labouring towards this. Well, we're labouring towards a rubbish point against Palace. Yeah, it didn't really make sense to bring for like, uh, to bring Lukaku back in. Sorry, after we'd seen some improvement, it wasn't like we were playing brilliant football without him. But the football was definitely improving. And at the end of the day, if it's not if it's not broke, don't fix it. And while it wasn't perfect, we were seeing some progress finally. And I get that Mourinho loves Lukaku and that Lukaku clearly has a great relationship with Jose, but. There comes a point where you have to go on form. And he seemed, he, he clearly is, is willing to do that because he's done it with Alexis. He dropped Alexis when his form was was not very good at all. But now he, he put him back to the bench when the last few games for Alexis have been better. I thought he played pretty well against Juve especially. And, and with that sort of more, more mobile front uh, front three in sort of Martial, Alexis and Rashford, we looked like we were, we were improving a little bit. And it didn't really make sense to just bring Lukaku back in automatically. It it would have made much more sense to stick with the formula that was getting us some better results before the international break. Like I said, the football still wasn't great, but it was improving. It was getting somewhere. And if we can see some progress, I think we'd all, we all give Mourinho and the squad a little bit more space, but this just seemed like going straight back to everything that we wished we wouldn't see again in terms of the same style of play, the same method of, or the same plan B that we've always had in just bringing Fellaini on and trying to pump long balls up which we didn't even do very well in the end anyway. The same frailties at the back, like you said about Darmian playing right back, you know, there might have been injuries, whatever, but I think for a lot of us, just the fact that we have a back four where three of the back four still consist of Darmian, Smalling and Young, it really just says it all. Also, Dallow, not in the squad. Fred on the bench. Our summer signings, <laughs> where are they? And it's like Matic has... Oh, I... I uh, I came into this weekend thinking, if we lose, I don't want the podcast to be the same as it is every week where we say we should drop Matic, we should drop Lukaku, uh, we should get a director of football, Woodward's not good enough. Because we do that a lot. I mean, 
they are obviously key issues and I still stand by everything we've said on that in the past Matic should be dropped Lukaku should be dropped Woodward's not good enough those things are all true but I don't want to say that every week but why is Matic still playing when Fred is an option because Matic is has been atrocious and that's not necessarily all his fault it's the fact that he's an aging midfielder who's clearly overworked because he plays almost every game he had an injury in the summer he had surgery came back straight away because he had to last season overworked started looking tired toward the end of the season started playing poorly and that's just continued also Diego Dallo a few very good games on his debut in his second and third game and yet we're playing Damian who hasn't played since the opening day of the season and the funny thing about that right back position is I think there are a few things that represent United's mediocrity more than the fact that our club captain hasn't played for 53 days, is a failed right winger now playing at right back who has constantly been given new contracts despite being average for the last five years in Antonio Valencia. So like even when, even when we have a suspension, he still doesn't get into the team. And that's the kind of thing that we used to look at Arsenal at and they'd have Per Mertesacker, Santi Cazorla, whoever. They'd have these, these captains who would just play one or two games a season, he'd be thinking, what kind of leadership is that? Your captain should be not necessarily your most important or best player on the pitch, but one of the key players in the team, someone who's starting every week. It's it's a sign of a mediocre club and a mediocre side, mediocre team, that the captain is a player who isn't playing, who isn't good enough, who's average. It's, a, it's also a sign of the complete lack of leadership in that United team, that there's no one better for the job. Yeah, like you said, the captain doesn't necessarily have to be the best player on the pitch, but the captain is a symbol of the rest of your team. And like you said, having having Valencia as our club captain really does just kind of sum up everything that's wrong with United at the moment. It, it, it's, a, it's such a shame because like, you look through the team that we have at the moment and there does seem to be... So a lot of potential in, on paper in terms of the players that we have. And it seems like we're almost wasting almost a whole generation of, of potential uh, of potential very good players. You look at the likes of Rashford. I don't think Rashford's improved in the last year and a half. I really don't. He looks like... In fact, no, that's a lot. I think he, he did look like he had improved a little bit last season, especially in the first half of the season. And since then, he, he seems like, it seems like he's gone backwards. There were times today where... Uh, he, he he got the ball in space down the right and he was trying to dribble and the ball was just constantly getting stuck under his feet. His end product is woeful. It seems like all he does every time he gets the ball is try and just smack the ball as hard as he can without actually thinking about where it's going. And and I, I as much as... I, I actually try not to blame him so much for that because I don't think it's all his fault. I think it comes from a lack of a lack of good coaching, a lack of effective time with a manager or a coach whoever it might be to actually teach him how to improve and like I said we've gone through this so many times I just I don't want to keep repeating ourselves but about how a few players actually improve once they come to United anymore and it's actually it's hard now trying to come up with new things to say on this podcast like you said because the issues are, are there for all of us to see very very clearly and it doesn't seem like anything's going to change until the manager or the backroom or Ed Woodward and his sort of uh, sort of group of backroom staff are gone and we have a new regime at the club. And it, it's tough to swallow that pill because it, it does seem like there's a bit uh, almost hopeless at the moment until we, we make those big structural changes. Yeah, I think the, the, the sad thing is just the, the hope has gone before, but the, the problem now is that there isn't really any alternatives. It's like when Van Hal was... When we were so rubbish on the Van Gaal, it was like, oh, yeah. Jose Mourinho, that'd be exciting. Even though I, I didn't want Mourinho, I want, I think I, I think I wanted 
Pochettino at the time. I can't really remember. And now look, look who we want again, Pochettino. But um, with Van Gaal, there were even even I didn't even though I didn't want Mourinho, he wasn't my first choice. Even so, it was kind of like, well, Mourinho. This, I mean, that could be good. Whereas now you're looking around thinking, uh, I mean, what what is going to happen? And Van Gaal, it was like, oh, we're we're two three years into the the transition after Fergie, like we we could still improve. Whereas now, I think if we don't win the title next year, and I probably said this, I think I was thinking this last year as well. If we don't win it in the next year, I don't think we'll win it for fifteen, twenty years, because how how are we going to turn it around that quickly? We're on a slippery slope to to nowhere. It's kind of we're building towards mediocrity and it's like how if what are we building towards we're building towards having a team where we still have Chris Smalling who's been giving a new contract or is about to be we still have Ashley Young and Tony Valencia who be given new contracts we're still giving contracts to Ander Herrera and Juan Mata because they're good to have around in the dressing room well yes I agree but I mean, Patrice Evra would be great to have in the dressing room now. You wouldn't give him a contract as a player at Man United. Don't know. He's I think fun. Ed Woodward might, to be fair. Oh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. But <laughs> after, his, after his antics with that chicken, um, we'll, we'll see. I don't think. I'm actually, I'm, he could be United's official chicken licking partner or something. <laughs> um, anyway, but the, the point is, we, what are we building towards? It's mediocrity. It's not something big. It's not like, oh, we are building towards something. There's just, there's nothing there. I feel like Claude from Arsenal Fan TV about six years ago just saying there's nothing there. There's nothing there over and over again because there isn't anything there. There's no chances created in games. There's no positive signs in the transfer market. There's no positive signs in the structure of the club. There just is nothing there to be properly hopeful about apart from the few positive talents of, of Dallow, Martial, Shaw, Rashford, uh, Pogba to an extent although he's now 25, but it's like, well, will we ever get to see the best of these lot? I see a lot of, of similarities at the moment between us and Liverpool of, of the 90s and Arsenal of the sort of mid to late noughties because it does look like we are somewhat of a fallen giant at the moment. And I think you're right that if we don't win the, the title in the next year, maybe two, which I, I don't think there's any chance that we will win the title in those one or two years, it does seem like we we won't we won't begin to be able to win anything for 10 15 years because at the moment and more so in the last 3 or 4 years the name of man united and the stature of the club has been enough to attract to attract top players when we when we go after them you look at the likes of alexis of di maria of pogba uh play, you know players like that who have come to united really very close to the top of of their career and close to the top of the game in their positions as well and Although in, in all of those signings, we haven't been, you know, a top five, top 10 club in Europe even at that point, the name of the club is big enough that these top players will still come. And there does come a point where current performance will begin to overtake the stature of the club when players are deciding where they want to go. We've already seen it a little bit in, in players, you know, reportedly turning us down, saying that our style of football isn't what we want, whatever it might be. And, you know, you had the same thing with, with Liverpool in in the early 2000s, late 90s, it was very difficult for Liverpool to attract players because when people didn't see that they were a top club and they also didn't see a, a new project starting, why would they go and play there? When you've got the likes of City, Chelsea, you know, whoever whoever it might be, what you know, with clear projects in mind, great managers in place, and who their stature is 
not the same as ours because I don't think any we are, we are still the biggest club in England but you know they, they their stature is improving all the time and their current results mean that these players can play at the highest level of club football whereas at United not only are we not at the top of European football right now but we don't really have a project in place that's showing progress you know you look at Liverpool right Liverpool in the last three or three or four years have been able to attract better players because even though they might not have been right at the pinnacle of European football every year, they have seen progress, they've seen a clear vision in mind from Klopp. And it does make a big difference when you're attracting players. Whereas now, realistically, if you're a top player and you have the choice of any top six club in the Premier League, why would you choose Man United at the moment? Yeah, history is the only reason. Other than the name of the club and the history, there's, yeah. there is nothing. Because the, the man, there's, you look at Spurs... Because I think looking, I think comparisons to City are pointless because of the the money they got, the structure they have, and the setup they have. It's one club who is such a mess with this this club who have had the the idea of Pep Guardiola for the last eight nine years. They've been building, so they literally built a training ground for Pep Guardiola. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So comparing to Spurs, which we shouldn't be doing as United, but we're going to have to. They are a team who spent £0 on, on transfers in the summer, who don't have a home ground, and yet the mood around that club is amazing. They're, they're frustrated with the fact that their, their move to their new stadium has taken so long and, and there's been so many delays and there's no kind of transparency or, or clarity over it. But because of the manager, the players are, are loving life at Spurs. You've got people like Harry Kane committing to the club for forever basically I think he signed a six year deal the fans are, are well behind it because they know even though they're not going to win the title this year there is a structure there there's a there's a project there and there's, I guess there must be some frustration for to them for the fact that they have this great team but they probably won't win a title in the next five years they probably they might win a, a cup they won't win much even though they've got this great team but there's still a positive mood there you look at United it's like what kind of mood have we got it's just this topsy turvy thing where we go from we have a comeback, great, we've turned a corner. Oh, oh, hold on, we haven't, we haven't turned a corner at all. It's, it's actually all rubbish again. Um, we should wrap up in a second. No one re- really wants to hear about this game that much because we're just complaining about United now. And I think there's a a certain amount of complaints about United that people can bear. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, and 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 the problem is that at this point it is just becoming us repeating the same things over and over again. I think. The only thing you want to see in the next few months going forward, because this season is pretty much a lost cause at this point, maybe outside the FA Cup and potentially going on a run in the Champions League, which looks very unlikely. And the main thing I want to see, trying to look, trying to look forward and think, what can we salvage from this season? It's creating a a set system and a starting eleven. It might not be exactly the same every week, but. That we at least know the the major the major parts of it. it. We know we're not going to be wondering about five or six different positions like we are now. I would like to see some improvement from some of our younger players, like some Martial, Rashford. Hopefully, Darlow gets uh gets a few more games in. And I think ultimately that's all we can really hope for for the rest of the season because it doesn't seem like the style of football is changing any time soon. Doesn't look like the club are willing to um to get rid rid of Mourinho at least not at the moment. You know, you have to ask yourself how bad the results really have to get for Mourinho to well, to be I sacked. Think, I think the problem is it goes back to that thing about building towards mediocrity. the The point at which we sack a manager is when we don't get top four. That is instantly 
passing on a message to the players where it's like that's the that's these acceptable. Are our, yeah, these are our ambitions for the club to become to come fourth on the last day of the season. Okay, great. It's like if if you think the manager's not doing good enough, just back yourself and sack him. Yeah. But they can't because they've sat three man. That would be three managers in a row, and they'd look stupid. Although I don't, they probably realise that they already look like terrible, terrible owners. And, of the well, club. It, it, just, it just seems like the, the board just responds to the personality of whoever's in charge of the club. You look back at when Van Gaal was in charge, and they were ruthless. They sacked Van Gaal after we won the FA Cup. Things were looking up. We had some good young young players coming through, and yet. And they sacked him. And, you know, there was no one complaining about that decision. We were complaining about the way that yeah. it was handled because there was not enough courtesy given to Van Gaal in that situation. But, we, you know, we were ruthless in that situation. And that was good because it there was an opportunity to bring in a manager who, at the time, I think was... It, whether he was the right appointment or not is kind of irrelevant, but he was definitely an upgrade on the manager that we had. And he was someone who could come in and you thought could give us bring us some instant success. And it hasn't worked out and we need to show that same ruthlessness again. But it seems like Mourinho as a personality is now almost bigger than the board and the board are are almost scared to take him on. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that I'm so bored of having a manager come in and take two years to to do his thing. And we wait for two seasons. We, We wait and we think, is this working? Is it not? We'll give him time. And it's like, let's just, I mean, let's just stick with it for the rest of the season. It's kind of like, I can't be bothered to go through that again. So let's give him till the end of the season, see what happens. But if we're going to give him that that courtesy, because he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really deserve to keep his job at the moment, based on the fact he said he'd win the title in all three of his seasons so far and then has proceeded to not meet those expectations at all. But then he has to change things. It, I just want to see players like Dallo and Bailly and and play Rashford on the right, just try him on the right, on the wing. For England, he can do things there because he's got a bit more space. He, I don't think he is a striker. He doesn't have enough space when he plays up front. Play Sanchez over Lukaku. Just just create a bit of a more mobile yeah, team. I agree. But yeah, I, I, I'm I bored of transition, the transition period where we try and install a, a, a philosophy, as Louis van Gaal said. Um, <laughs> but quick youth update before we quickly preview the Young Boys game. Manchester United's youth side both had draws this week. The under-23s faced West Brom after the international break. They hadn't played for 21 days competitively before this, but their two previous games had both been woeful defeats. They arrested that form to a to some extent with a 1-1 draw against the Baggies at the Hawthorns. Meredith opened the scoring for West Brom before United's Josh Bowie equalised with an 88th-minute penalty. It was penalties that were the story of the weekend. On Saturday morning, United's under-18s drew 3-3 in the mini-derby. Both United and City had two penalties each and scored from open play once. Dylan Levitt netted two penalties and put United 1-0 in front early on, but City led by half-time, having scored from the spot on two occasions in the final five minutes of that half. Damani Bugal-Melor drew United level in the 58th minute after the goalkeeper spilled a shot from Mason Greenwood and Levitt's second penalty of the game put United in front 3-2. City's Cole Palmer equalised for them in the 76th minute though and United needed two great saves from goalkeeper James Thompson and a goal line clearance from midfielder Jimmy Garner to stay level in the last few minutes at 3-3 but United doing better than City in the under 18 Premier League this season and a big few games coming up they got Young Boys and Valencia in the UEFA Youth League they got Chelsea in both the under 18 Premier League Cup and the FA Youth Cup and a game against 
league leaders Everton as well now Jack Young boys on Tuesday night before Southampton at Saturday 5.30 kickoff. there's no excitement about these games is there even though it's Champions League I was going to say you really couldn't, couldn't get a less a less exciting week it's just football. like I saw someone say well I've just gone to that game against Palace what <laughs> football's so irrational it's like what other what other kind of event entertainment would you go not enjoy yourself at all be thoroughly bored for 90 minutes in the cold having spent money on petrol train tram whatever and then go again four days later to see exactly the same thing it's just really, i mean why would you want to go to young boys obviously if i had a ticket and i was in manchester i would but you can see why there will be a lot of empty seats on tuesday night oh 100 and no for on, on my end no uh no hard feelings towards any fan that, that skips on tuesday i think this is probably the lowest most fans have been probably at any point watching United in the last 20 years or so. Um, and I think that, and I, I don't like seeing empty seats at any point, but I, I mean, especially if you don't live in Manchester, I don't think I would, I would make the trip up to Old Trafford to watch us play young boys. Yeah, I was, I was considering it about two weeks ago and then now it's like, will I get a last minute ticket? Uh, no, thank you. I'm not spending £150 to do that. Yeah. Um, prediction though. Nil nil. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, I mean, that probably <laughs> I mean, is that probably is a sensible prediction. Yeah. But um, in fact, funnily enough, that we're playing Southampton this weekend because I saw a stat earlier today that they're the only team that has had more nil nil draws in the Premier League than us since Mourinho has taken over. Anyway, that's a side note. But young boys, I'll go with. I think ultimately we'll probably have a little bit too much quality for young for young boys. Um, so let's go with the let's go with a two one win against young boys and Southampton. I reckon a one-all draw. One-all, both teams scoring. Despite, I think, I think it said we've we've drawn, we've had, we've been in ten nil-nil draws and they've been in fifteen. So I'm going to go nil-nil for the Southampton game and uh, two-nil for the Young Boys game. I think it'll be reasonably comfortable, but quite boring as well with yeah. not a great atmosphere at Old Trafford. Anyway, that's all we have time for on Series Four, Episode Fourteen of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Um, if you're enjoying the show please leave a review on iTunes they're much appreciated I've just I was saying to Jack before we recorded I went on the the US iTunes store and saw lots of reviews from our US listeners so shout out to all of the US listeners um, particularly who's the one who asked for a shout out shout out to someone who's called Swoop the Red Hawk on iTunes I mean I don't know what their real name is for he asked for a shout out in his review thank you for leaving reviews if you're joined please join them and leave reviews and we might give you a shout out as well um, for more from Jack throughout the week you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at, at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thanks as always for listening have a great week goodbye Network.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.